I was just thinking, like, what if James Cameron had had directed Cats? I mean, I'd watch it. Now, there's an idea. I'd watch it. I, I, it wouldn't have been boring. I, it probably would have been pretty good. He, did, he basically did. He did Alien Cats. <laughs> Hello, Mission Recall listeners. I'm Oriana Schwint. And I'm Steve Parkers. Fancy. Yeah, I'm, I'm mixing it up. We're a bit. mixing it up because today we are celebrating our Independence Day. I like that you put your hand up to your mouth as though that's uh, simulating. I was imitating a bullhorn, bullhorn. Okay, so you know by that I mean, of course, we are talking about Roland Emmerich's 1996 alien disaster movie. Independence Day. Or as it was known on the poster on my wall as a kid, ID4. <gasps> oh man, Remember? I forgot about that. But now I the movie posters are in fact coming back to me like, yeah. you know, in in the malls and everything. Oh gosh. Yeah. I had such a weird little collection of posters that I would cycle through as what, a kid. What else was on your wall? Well, a couple years later when I would get into my uh, film guy film phase. Shit. I did have the American Beauty film poster on oh, my wall. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, for, because it was a film guy thing and not because it was just a, a naked teenager it, on a... It fulfilled both of uh-huh, those. Uh-huh. It was kind of a perfect poster, really. For a 14-year-old boy. Yes, that's correct, 14. Yeah. <laughs> that's Yeah, that sounds about right. Anyway, uh, Independence Day is a good one to talk about following our... Deep Impact Army. Oh, what are you? I'm, I'm not done talking about oh, the I'm American so, Beauty poster. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just a fun little tidbit that I think most people know now, but I only learned a couple years ago. Do you know whose stomach that was on the American Beauty poster? Your mom's? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying I want to see that, but that would be very funny. Yeah. Uh, Christina Hendricks. Oh, weird. From Mad Men. Yeah, yeah. I I know who Christina. Well, no, that's for the listeners. (laughs) Joan from uh, Mad Men. How did how did that happen? I guess she was just like a a working model in the late nineties. She wasn't really like a famous person yet. She hadn't done the Firefly uh, episodes. No, no, not yet. Anyway, that's that's her little tum on uh, that poster. So not Mina Savari's, which I thought it was. Congratulations to all. Anyway, involved. let's move on. <laughs> yes, as I was saying, this is a this is a good one to talk about following our Deep Impact slash Armageddon double feature because we talked kind of extensively about Roland Emmerich in that one, and you know, here we see his style, maybe not like on full display because he like. If, Personally, I feel The Day After Tomorrow was sort of the peak of his powers, but this is like a solid outing. I think The Day After Tomorrow is his most competent film. Like, it's yeah. it's kind of everything, all of his excesses, but also a good enough story, good enough acting. Uh, th- there's, there's a cohesiveness to it that, the, that really helps. It's cohesive. The effects, maybe with the exception of The Wolves, was oh, were yeah. kind of, had finally reached... Yeah. Uh, processing power yeah. to actually achieve his vision fully. Although, with that being said, we will definitely talk about uh, the effects in Independence Day, and the vast majority of them hold up fucking great, pretty good, pretty well. It's there's some there's some CGI fire that, like as as we talked about with the water simulation and Deep Impact, not quite there yet. It's, you know, they're, they're making good progress. They are. And you know what's weird is I remember it actually being worse and watching it again, like, it's, yeah, it's you can tell it's you fake fire. Yeah. But uh, it's not that bad overall. There's definitely some moments, you know, especially because it's a mix of CGI and practical. Mm-hmm. Like, they actually did blow up those fake, you know, little miniature cities yeah. using a real fireball. Yeah. And that shit looks amazing. It does. And then they do supplement it with CGI fire, and that's where it's really like, That's oh. where things get a little janky, and some of the compositing is maybe a little, like, you know, it's not super seamless. It's not, it's not the smoothest. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's, I, you know, this was 1996, like... Come on, we're doing pretty well. They were doing pretty well, and the fact that I'd say 90% of it looks pretty solid. The big explosions, like 
Those all the cities amazing. being destroyed still looks great. Uh, I doubt it would look all that much better today, honestly. I don't think it would. Now it would all be totally CGI. It would CGI. all be totally CGI, and there would just be these weird little tells. Uh, Defector has been doing some <laughs> digging into the sort of VFX crisis in, in Hollywood mm. that's happening now. There was a new one uh, about, uh, it was a supervisor or a supervising compositor or something who has, you know, been working for a couple decades now uh, and, and kind of spilled some of the tea on sort of the, the factory farming approach mm. to to visual effects in, in movies and television these days. It's very interesting. We'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, and not to make this, as they say in the beginning of the movie, all about politics. We don't, <laughs> we don't want the president to make it about politics. But, uh, you know, I don't know what that article says. I will read it after we record this. But, I mean, a big reason you get so many... CGI special effects in movies is because it's non-union. It's non-union. You can out like, yeah. and not only can you you know use non-union labor, but you can use cheap labor in India, China, various other Southeast Asian countries. Yeah, like the kind of the dirty, not that secret secret is like you see a movie that is ILM or mm-hmm. Weta or Digital Domain, and they subcontract like they farm out a bunch of stuff Mm -hmm. to uh, yeah overseas yeah and the 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 guy that was being interviewed for this defector piece that just came out today this is this is on june 3rd we're recording this a bit before independence day but it was he was talking about how you know these subcontract subcontractors will really really underbid and you know it's like well india is saying they can do this for a dollar a frame so you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's been kind of the big problem uh, is because it's a race to the bottom mm-hmm. and everyone underbids everyone else. I mean, famously, back when Life of Pi won, the uh, visual effects studio that won the Oscar had just declared bankruptcy or yeah. did like the week after yeah. or something. Like, And that's fairly common. You it really is. only have the big boys and everyone else is scrambling for scraps. And in some cases, some of that bankruptcy filing is just for tax reasons. True. It's so, it's, it's a very tangled web that we don't really have time to get we into, uh, but it's fascinating, and I encourage everyone to like read up uh, on on the sort of practices that well, are happening. And like that is kind of though, I, I know you just said we can't get into, but all we're of going it. to. I'm going to get into we're one gonna, more little yeah. thing, which is sort of a pet peeve of mine, where people talk about how like oh everyone just does special effects as though it's a creative choice, mm-hmm. and. You know, we all lament that we would like to see more practical effects and more real stunts and more real locations, all that stuff. But, like, it's just because all of those other departments are unionized. Yeah. Like, it's just because it's so much cheaper to do special effects. There's no real artistic choice. It's just this is cheaper and faster. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can farm it out to as many effects houses as we want. It will cost a fraction of building this stuff for real. And uh, it'll look good enough. It'll be good enough. That is is the thing, is most people are just looking for good enough right now. Like, we simply do not have the time, money. We don't want to work with the unions that that will construct these incredible miniatures. And, like, it always looks better, and it'll hold up for decades yep. forever, and basically. And uh, you know, I, I do think there is this very short-sightedness in, I mean, kind of a lot of areas of modern life. It isn't just limited to filmmaking, but there is a short-sightedness where it's just, it's good enough for now. Yeah. You know, we don't actually need to, like, rebuild the bridge. We can just... Put some put some stuff over the cracks, and by the time it really falls apart, I don't know. We'll probably be dead. So who cares? It's the duct tape economy. Like yeah. everything is just getting duct taped and held together. And like, yeah, duct tape will do the trick for a while, but ultimately somebody's going to actually have to rebuild the bridge. But by the time that happens, there's no one left. You will need a new bumper at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's our little diatribe, because we talk a lot on here about practical versus special effects and how much we'd like to see more practical, but like that's the reason why you don't. It's not because I think filmmakers don't want to do practical. They don't want to make their movies look as good as possible. It's The studios don't. 
Yeah, they're they're mostly they're just you know it's a, it is a business. It that is, is a the business. thing. Like we do live in a capitalistic society, which is geared towards making the most money possible as quickly as possible. Yeah, and unfortunately, there's just not quite as much money, particularly in films, to have a long lasting film. There is some, like there is a long tail yeah. uh, to having a film that'll last forever. But it's not as profitable as just like pumping out a giant movie that'll have, you know, a huge mm-hmm. box office couple of weekends. Yeah. And then it'll do well enough mm-hmm. on like streaming and, you know, rights. Right. And now if it's on whatever streaming platform. But like it's definitely not with as much thought in mind about like how will this look 20 years from now right. or even 10 years from now. It is interesting to think about lower budget movies like everything everywhere all at once which which i think will hold up in the long run i I want to say and they only had five people working and you know they worked for how long it was over a year or something quite a long time because it was delayed because of the pandemic so they did have time to you know work really on it work on it but they you know a lot of the effects that they did were like low rent, you know, sort of really... Mostly stuff you could do on software that you or I could have, like After Effects or Cinema 4D or Blender. Like, it was pretty basic stuff. And, like, they also didn't overdo it. They were effects that supplemented. And I think you hit the nail on the head. They had time. They had time. And I think they they worked to do as much stuff in camera as possible, which helps. And like helps. It is a little different when you are blowing up the Empire State Building. That's hard to do in camera. No, but they did that in camera. Right. (laughs) But it is is an undertaking. It's not quite the same as like, you know, blowing a fan onto Michelle Yeoh's face as as you slowly pull her chair back. Yeah, with some LEDs. With some LEDs and like a, is it a high shutter? Or you just have the shutter open? Was that it? Something like that. I can't remember the exact technique. There was like a shutter speed. I don't remember exactly how they did it. They needed some, a little bit of motion blur, I think. So it was probably a a lower shutter speed technically yeah but i I don't know i don't remember that anyway you can do you can do a lot of stuff uh you know kind of you can do a sort of low rent version of a lot of things but but unfortunately it's just time like usually these movies will finish shooting and they'll be you know premiering in a few months and they have you know 500 shots that Mm -hmm. they have to or probably more these days that they have to fill with effects almost entirely there might be one actor standing on a green screen and they have to fill everything and like you're not going to have the time you need to do it uh as well as you'd like so you just do the best you can yeah i i always think of the black panther finale like black panther is one of the better marvel movies and then that third act is just like what did you have an afternoon I, I, I truly think that was a... They, cause it was a reshoot. It was a reshoot, unquote. and that's never... A re-render. Yeah, right? But that's, you know, that's kind of the problem is the studio can step in and go, we don't like this fight, yeah. redo it. And you're like, uh, this movie premieres in like three months. Yeah. And they're like, oh, sounds like problem. a you problem. Yeah, yeah, truly. And then you have, you know, weird stuff like Cats where Tom Hooper is... Just a bad, like... I, but also, I mean, not every studio note is bad. Like, I don't want to see these cats' buttholes. No, I that is like too... I didn't like seeing my own cats' too butthole. cinema verite yeah. for me. Uh, but the big problem with Tom Hooper is that he's not an effects guy. He doesn't understand how effects work. So they weren't wearing, like, mocap suits. Oof. They weren't... They were just dressed like normal people running around a set, like, without any sense of... You know, you get like James Cameron doing mocap. I was just thinking, like, what if James Cameron had had directed Cats? I mean, I'd watch. Now it. there's an idea. I'd watch it. I, I it wouldn't have been boring. I, it probably would have been pretty. Good. He did. He basically did. He did Alien Cats. <laughs> like that's all yeah. Avatar is. I wonder if there'll be like an Avatar musical. We've gone so far afield. We by have the way. barely talked. We barely about Independence talked about Day. Independence Day, which is a good, fun movie. Although I had not seen the movie Arrival until fairly recently. That's right. Uh, and I'm glad. I'm glad we watched it. I'm really bummed at myself for not watching it in the theater because it is very my kind of movie. I thought it would be. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what was up with that. Maybe I was just like. I don't know. What was the alien movie we watched before Arrival that made me think you should watch Arrival? Something where everyone was yelling at each other. 
Oh, War of the Worlds. Oh, that's right. We tried to watch War of the Worlds. We watched half of War of the Worlds. Which is the only half worth watching. Yeah. And you did kind of point out, I hadn't seen it since college. There's a lot of yelling. Like Everyone is screaming all the time. pretty unpleasant. Like, it's a rare misfire, not just for Spielberg, but for Tom Cruise, where like, he's the wrong guy there. Yeah. Tom Cruise can only really ever be Tom Cruise. He is not the everyman. He is not a crane operator he's not like no absolutely not he's not not joe yankees fan he's not a dad no no dad no children (laughs) Uh, anyway so then it was like oh that was very loud and unpleasant everyone was mean and kind of shitty let's watch arrival where everyone just speaks in very hushed tones they're very they whisper a lot a lot of whispering so much whispering and, like, it, it's a little goofy at the end, but it also, like, the first time I saw it, and there's the big reveal that I won't spoil, I guess, if you haven't seen 2016's Arrival, which, I mean, you hadn't. So. I hadn't. Uh, there's a big reveal at the end. The first time I saw it, I didn't see it coming, and I was like, oh, shit. kind of hit me pretty hard. Yeah. I, like, I, I, th- I cried. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I missed that. I, I kind oh. of wiped it. Oh, that's sweet. Not a Paddington 2 crime. Not No, no. That's like full bore meltdown, just <laughs> sobbing uncontrollably. I mean, even I get a little lump in my throat during Paddington 2. It's just lovely. It's so nice. It's on HBO Max as of June 3rd, yeah. so check it out, y'all. <laughs> check out Paddington check 2 out Paddington on this 2. podcast about Independence Day. You know, it's fine. So um, what was your, sorry, we so anyway, yet again went we, off track. <laughs> Arrival and Independence Day. So it is very interesting to watch these movies in close proximity to each other because they are diametrically opposed in terms of what they are, what kind of story they are interested in telling about life beyond the Earth. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, it's it's interesting because they have there's a similar opening where suddenly these giant alien ships that are from an even larger alien ship uh, appear on Earth. And just kind of sit there over, like, you know, in Independence Day, it's major population centers, but in, in, in Arrival, it's much more random. Yeah. But but they sit there, and everyone's like, what are, what are they here for? And, like, you know, a, a portion of the beginning of each movie is, is trying to figure out why they're here. But what's interesting about Arrival is that, like, the aliens are not hostile. We are the hostile ones, whereas Independence Day, we are... We're, we're the, the baddies. But we're not. They're oh, the they're baddies. they're the baddies. Sorry, I meant, yeah, they're the baddies. They're the baddies. And, you know, we're the good guys who only use nukes in, like, you know, as a sort of weapon of last resort. Although it is interesting, like, Arrival is very focused on, like, the geopolitics of it all and yeah. how other con- and cooperating with other countries. Uh, and you get that for, like, a second in Independence Day, where, you know, we send Morse code messages to other armies to tell them what to do, mm-hmm. and everyone just agrees. Yeah, that's <laughs> with true. No, with no, like... It's a real testament to, like, American hegemony in the 90s, or right? the, the sense of it, like, yeah. the feeling that it, uh, it, America is the world. Yeah. You know, we're the, we're the leaders. We're the leaders. Of truly the, the leaders. And not like, just the free world, but the entire world. The whole world. Whatever we say goes... Uh, you know, at one point they cut to kind of outside of somewhere, somewhere in Northern Iraq. And it's like a British general. There's there's British forces and Iraqi people. And like also the Israelis are there. So I get like Emmerich has always been not subtle about those kinds of like, we all just need to get together and work together, man, man, which is a a lovely sentiment. But it is also uh, especially more and more as the years go by. Just increasingly kind of silly. It's very silly. Yeah. Independence Day is a very silly movie. Yeah. And uh, that's always been Emmerich's game. Like, he's always been a very silly. Like, he really wears his heart on his sleeve. And I think here, maybe more than anywhere, yeah. any other film that he's done. Would you Would you say he wears his heart on his... Steve, because that's the name of Will Smith's character. Somehow I had completely forgotten that. Me too. And I'm Steve. You're Steve. Will Smith is not Steve. What's weird is like, Will is not a particularly unique name. No. It's a fairly boring standard name. Smith is also. Smith the most boring. And so is Steve, a very generic name. But for whatever reason, Will Smith just ain't a fucking Steve. And like, you know... There are black men named Steve where I'm like, yeah, you're, you're, a, Steve. you're a Steve. Yeah. 
but not he, Will Smith. He just he doesn't have Big Steve energy. No, God. <laughs> No one has big Steve energy. Oh, no. Oh, oh no. But, yeah. All right, so we should talk a little bit about the, the actual p- movie. Yeah, let's talk about the so, movie. So, uh, speaking of Will Smith, we don't meet him until 20 minutes into the movie. It's an odd choice. And he is our lead, ostensibly. Like, at least one of our co-leads. Yeah. Certainly got top billing uh, in the promotions. Yeah. Uh, and he was, at the time, a pretty big star. Like, this was... One of his earlier big budget movies. But, you know, but, we're post Bad Boys. Yeah, we're he post- was definitely a, a bankable star at this point, post yeah. Fresh Prince and and Bad Boys. And yet, we have multiple scenes following everyone else: uh, Bill Pullman as the president, Jeff Goldblum as Jeff Goldblum, <laughs> yeah, you know. Randy Quaid as a drunken pilot who was abducted by aliens ten years earlier. And we see each of them, I think each of them gets like three scenes apiece. Yeah. And then we finally meet Will Smith. It's it's an odd choice in a movie that is generally really good about pacing. Yeah. Like, you know, again, we, we brought this up in the Deep Impact Armageddon episode, but... Emmerich is very good at like we we spend just enough time with these people to get what we need to get from them and then we move on. You know, some of it's a little choppy sometimes, but it it, it works. So I was thinking about it cuz yeah, we talked about it during Deep Impact and I think really what it is is in Deep Impact, you will go several actual scenes with one of the characters, with Morgan Freeman, let's say. And you'll stay with him for several scenes. Whereas what Emmerich understands is you really chop it up scene by scene. You Mm -hmm. do one scene Mm -hmm. uh, with Bill Pullman, then you go to Randy Quaid, Mm -hmm. then you go to Jeff Goldblum. Like, it's never more than one at a time. Don't quote me on that. So that's really what it is, is just about, like, scene by scene. And the scenes themselves are relatively short. Yeah, we don't linger yeah. unnecessarily, which is a thing that I appreciate more and more these days. I do too, although there were a couple of points where they do some hard cuts where it's like, you could have let that breathe for a couple yes. of beats. Yes, and this is particularly in the act breaks. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, structure-wise, really well-structured screenplay, really clever. Uh, you know, the movie takes place from over July, over three, three days. days, and each day is an act, and that's nice. <laughs> It is. It's simple, but it works. It's nice. I know where I am in the movie. And like, I love knowing where I am in the movie because I usually have to pee at some point during the movie. At least once. (laughs) At least once. And, you know, that really helps me. It's like, okay, we're, we're at the end of act two. I can probably go like, and not miss too much. And like, with all that being said, this is a two and a half hour movie and there's a an easy 20 minutes 30 minutes even you could cut from absolutely this. uh so not only i would say i think you were the one who said it like maybe just lose randy quaid yeah the entire subplot it is really real like i know that they introduce him so early because he saves the day right but i don't care <laughs> well it's weird because it doesn't do a great job of establishing his relationship with his kids, which is sort of, I think, his whole deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's a drunk and kind of a fuck up. He has PTSD, I think, from the alien abduction that did happen, obviously. Yeah, and what's weird is when, you know, after the aliens have invade are invading and... People are still giving him these looks when he talks about being abducted by aliens, and it's like... I mean, he he did though. Like, I think, right? Like at this point, you'd be like, "Ooh, our bad man." Sorry, ooh, yeah, about that. sorry about that. But no one does. Everyone's still kind of like, "Get a load of this oh, guy." Brother. It's just like you are mid invasion. They are invading <laughs> you right now. Why are you still being snitty about? You're being this? a little asshole. Like, what is this? You know, Adam Baldwin. Not one of the Baldwins. Not one of the Baldwins. And like, you know, like they don't really need more. No, it's fine. Of a disaster. We've got too much Baldwin um, as it is. If you don't know, Adam Baldwin is a huge piece of shit. He's an asshole. He's a Gamergate guy, despite like, you know. Wait, was he in Firefly? He was the Firefly guy. Oh, yeah, he sucks. And then he became a Gamergate guy for no discernible reason whatsoever. Uh, well, the reason was he wasn't famous anymore and this was a way in. Oh my God. That's the reason. Yeah. No, that, it was a grift. 
It's always been a grift. Yeah. I mean, he might believe some of it. I bet he does. I bet, I bet I bet. he he has some pretty nasty opinions yeah. on. But like that was clearly him just clinging on to the misery and It was one of those things where because he was on Firefly, he had a, you know, a sizable following online mm-hmm. because everyone online loved Firefly. Look, I liked it too. Don't get me wrong. It was fine. Uh, I watched it and everyone was like, oh no, it's canceled. More. And I was like, yeah, I don't it's know, like, I guess. It feels like, it's fine. And then it's I saw fine. the movie and I was like, that was fine. Yeah. It was fine. I'm not going to make it my personality. I know a few people who made it their I personalities. Mean, yes. Anyway, but he had like a solid online following sure. and saw an opportunity to, yeah. you know. Get back in, in the conversation, as it were. Mm-hmm, boy. Yeah. Uh, so so he's, uh, he's he's here. He's in this. Um, you know, he does a pretty solid job. He's fine. <laughs> but the, the Randy Quaid subplot doesn't do anything for me personally. No. And what... It come. It feels as though it comes at the expense of Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum together, which I think that's. It's kind of similar to Enemy of the State, where in Enemy of the State, Will Smith and Gene Hackman don't come together, as it were, until you know, like an hour in, an hour into the movie. And here, it's even worse. It's yeah. you know, we're three quarters of the way through the movie, basically, when they team up when they kiss when they kiss kiss but you're right and like i hadn't really thought about it before but having watched enemy of the state so recently and now this will smith really works so well when he's got sort of a straight man to bounce off of. yeah or not even a straight man necessarily just some some kind of foil yeah somebody with a very different energy so like jeff goldblum is certainly not like a boring He's not uh, as I, I, boring straight man. Yeah. He's got his own zaniness going on, but it's yeah. such a different energy mm-hmm. uh, that it really works well. And like they have a nice chemistry really together. Good chemistry. And it would have been so much more fun to have spent a lot more time with them. Mm-hmm. I want to see them trying to get the ship to work. Mm-hmm. And I want to see them, you know, kind of bickering or or coming coming at the problem from opposite sides you got the hotshot uh pilot, pilot versus the computer guy yeah, and they're that's both a perfect it's it, it you could itself. really you could really do a lot with that and uh it's kind of a shame that we don't get more of that i think that we yeah just get rid of the randy quaid thing and focus on will smith and jeff goldblum you could even minimize some of the other... Like, I know we we just spent a, a bunch of time in this episode and previous episodes being like, Roland Emmerich is so great at an ensemble. He's blah, blah, blah. But we could have pared this down a bit. Well, what's funny is, like, I think structurally he still does a good job of keeping us abreast of the ensemble, what everyone's up to. We never yes. forget about anyone. Yes. You know, the, he cycles through them well. But you're absolutely right that... It actually would have been better to have not really been an ensemble. I think you could have had the president storyline and the Jeff Goldblum, Will Smith storylines that converged by the end of the first act, really. Yeah. Like, you have the big battle where uh, Will Smith crashes... By the Grand Canyon, he's he's th- he's clearly flying through the Grand Canyon yeah. because that's that's the only thing that's big enough for that kind for of that thing, and it just looks like the Grand Canyon. Yeah, and then he cra- they crash on the in the salt in flats, the salt flats in, which is in Death Valley. Well, and he took off a, outside of L.A. Yeah, and like okay, I could I, I could stay with you if if we were just L.A. to Death Valley. Sure, that's, that's actually. Probably reasonable. Fine. Yeah, Grand the, Canyon's a little far. The Grand, you know, is there some other large canyon? Like there that are some other canyons that we're out missing there. in the area. But the Grand Canyon's real big. It is real big. I don't know if you've heard. I, I've heard. I've actually. It's funny that I say like it looks like the Grand Canyon. I've never actually seen the Grand Canyon in person. Yeah, we gotta do that sometime. I have, but uh, fairly briefly. I only saw like sort of a little little yeah. corner. But I've seen lots of photos. <laughs> It's lovely. Uh, but anyway, yeah, if he had crashed and the ship had gotten to Area 51 and, you know, Jeff Goldblum and the president had landed there and they all converged sort of, you know, after uh, the cities all blow up and it kind of becomes like 
Goldblum and uh, Will Smith have to figure out how to get the ship operational. They have a plan, but, oh, they can't figure it out. It's hard to learn how to drive it. There's all this tech that he has to figure out. He has Mm -hmm. to rewire it as the computer nerd. Right. And they're opposing forces that then learn to have a begrudging respect. And they work together, and then... They become friends. They, they, like, you know, you could even have the... I like the touch of the cigars, but Mm. Will Smith's character has this incredibly irritating partner uh, Harry Connick Jr. Yeah. Or, or I guess just colleague co you know they're, they don't they they're don't find the same thing. Anyway, they're both marine pilots, yeah. which are a thing. Uh they are, like actually are a thing. I didn't think that that was real. I thought that was just the Air Force. Right? Chair Force. Uh, nice. but got, also like Navy pilots are also a thing. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone's you know, all up in everyone's branches of the military, I guess. <laughs> gotta spread that money around somewhere. Yeah, right? You gotta... But uh, Harry Connick Jr. is extremely irritating as as Will Smith's colleague. He's clearly meant to be a bit of levity and, like, comedy relief. Yeah, it, you, you pointed out that it's kind of like they're trying to do a Top Gun thing. He's Goose. Yeah, but, but it doesn't work. But he's not Anthony Edwards. Oh. Love Anthony Edwards. Yeah, everyone loves Anthony Edwards. Harry Connick Jr. is no Anthony Edwards. No, and like, no shade on Harry Connick Jr. as like a a guy. I guess. Uh, I don't know the man. He might be fine. this was not a good... Uh, outing not a good, not a good him. role. Yeah. He's just like he's not very funny. He doesn't have good comedic. He's timing. weird in ways that are like upsetting. He keeps calling Will Smith Big Daddy, and like, I don't it, love it. it's just kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's got it's like is this like gay panic stuff? There's is it a little the opposite bit. of gay panic? Is Although, it queer yeah. baiting? Oh, I maybe. don't. I don't actually again. Think it Top is. Gun sort of queer baiting, uh, but like I don't think it is. I think they're just trying to emulate Top Gun and like, mm, mm. it doesn't. It's like Top Gun gone through Google Translate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Nice. So anyway, that would have, I think, helped a lot to have kind of focused the movie a little bit because we spend so much time, you know, jumping around. Like we follow the injured first lady who Who meets, then dies off screen. She dies off screen. It's uh, Mary... McDonald. Mary McDonald from... Battlestar uh, Galactica, baby. And, oh, interestingly, also from Donnie Darko. Oh, yeah. Which also, Frank... Frank is in, is this, in movie. this movie. Frank oh, the Rabbit. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a weird little... As knockoff Keanu Reeves. Uh, yeah. Playing, weirdly, Randy Quaid's, Randy Quaid's son. Randy Quaid's son. Uh, also not doing an amazing job. He's been a working actor for a long time. And I will say, this is a, like, his role in this is extremely thankless. It is, Emmerich's really good at this in The Day After Tomorrow. Not as good at this here in Independence Day, where Miguel, Randy Quaid's son, is, is like, in, you know, very early in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And it seems like, oh, we're going to fall. Like, oh, is this our, like, one of our main POV characters? And, and he's not. Yeah. He just kind of falls out of the movie for a while. And, like, he does pop up. Like, he's in the command center when his dad They just is, let anyone into uh, those places. It is so funny. Everyone's just wandering There's, around Area 51 and the command center. And seeing all this alien tech stuff. Like, I know that, like, okay, everyone knows there's aliens now, but this is, like, technology. I don't, I, like, I don't I, think I, they I, do that. I don't think so either. It also, like, doesn't add much. Like, no. I know you're trying to bring these people together and... Uh, yeah, it's uh, it is a thankless role. Uh, same for Mary McDonnell, her kind of just slowly dying first lady, who you know <laughs> she happens to run into Vivica A. Fox in the ruins of L.A. Yeah, Vivica, Vivica A. Fox A. runs into her, <laughs> uh, and she like was in a helicopter crash during the explosion that we didn't see. That we all, a lot of stuff happening off screen for her, uh, and then Will Smith shows up in a helicopter, just like the we entire have, giant ruins of L.A., and he's just like, oh, there's my wife. Like all of Los Angeles girlfriend. County has been evacuated. Yeah, I, which is a thing that simply would not. Well, you I could not do it. You could be, not do it. To be fair, I mean, most people didn't get out. They yeah. didn't get blown up real good. That's a shame that L.A. got blown up. That's a real bummer. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so, like, she is, according to the doctor in this movie, Mary McDonnell is 
bleeding internally yeah. and there's nothing they can do. They just, they don't do surgery. They don't like, they know she's bleeding internally. So theoretically it, they did like an MRI or a CAT scan. Uh, so they know where the bleeding is and she's not, you know, it's not a femoral artery. She's not bleeding out within minutes. Yeah. So it seems like they could have stopped it. Yeah, she's probably been there for like a period of time. There's no like alarms going off. Yeah. There's no, it's like, so this is like a slow leak. You yeah. could, you could plug it. Do a lavage at least. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what the, <laughs> this medical staff doesn't seem too, too up to snuff. Like, you know, maybe if it had been a situation, this could have been an easy fix of like, you know, we don't have any medical tools. Everything got blown up. You know, she needs a transfusion and we can't do that because we don't have any blood. Yeah, or something. I, you don't need it necessarily. Like, the point is she's dying. But also, like, who cares? Yeah, like... It doesn't and also, really matter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just weird. It's just off. And again, we're taking a lot of time from stuff that, like, could be... Would have been a lot more yeah. fun. Well, like, uh, Frank the Rabbit there, uh, Miguel... <laughs> He, you said he drops off and then kind of reappears. It actually, now that you're saying it, reminded me a little bit of Mars Attacks, where that oh, movie had yeah. big problems with characters popping up and disappearing. Yeah. And like what felt like it was maybe supposed to be the A story at one point got cut way, way down. Yeah. Lucas Haas in Mars Attacks, you know, felt like he was supposed to maybe yeah. be the lead, and it was at some point turned into this weird ensemble of just A-listers that... Yeah, just kind of a parade of what should have been cameos. It's, it was basically like a series of skits yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, masquerading as a 50s alien movie. <laughs> and there are definitely elements of, you know, 1950s alien films in Independence Day. Sure. They show a clip from the day the Earth stood still. Like, it's clearly, there are some homages there. And they're overall, like, it definitely fits. It feels yeah. like that's what they're going for. Uh, but yeah, it just, uh, it feels like ensembles kind of got away from people a little bit in the 90s. In the maybe. 90s, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure why that happened if they just felt they needed to stack the movies with big casts. But it's like, yeah, Goldblum and Will Smith, I'm in the door for that. I'd watch that in the right. 90s. Like Will Smith had just done Bad Boys. Goldblum was just in Jurassic Park. Like, yeah, I'm on board. Yeah, it is. It is interesting that they just threw everything at, yeah. at this movie. What I like about The Day After Tomorrow is how sort of thematically cohes cohesive it is. And like you were talking about, you know, Emmerich is pretty so pretty good at everyone getting a little arc. It's a little less clear in Independence Day. It's not as good uh, in terms of in terms of giving everyone an arc necessarily. There's like hints at it. But it feels just less thematically cohesive, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I don't think everyone really has a thematically cohesive arc here. And I think, like, some of them just never quite gel. Like, you get the hints of it at the beginning. Like, uh, the president, uh, Bill Pullman, is kind of viewed as a weak nerd. Weaky. He, yeah, you weaky. <laughs> uh, he's this sort of weak liberal, you know, bleeding heart. At least that's how he's viewed by the Yeah, you know, we elected a warrior public. and we... And we got a wimp. Yeah. Uh, and like Jeff Goldblum, I'm not sure what his I guess it was is. he wasn't ambitious enough for oh. his ex-wife. And then right. she's like, oh, now he chooses to be ambitious. And it's like, I mean, I guess. I mean, yeah, he's just trying to save the world. Maybe. Right. But yeah, like, uh, so there, I guess... He learns yeah. to be ambitious, and Randy, she learns Randy, to love him again. Randy Quaid learns to not be a drunk. The whole time. Uh, the whole I guess. time. But Although like, he's still drinking pretty much right pretty up much the Pretty much until, almost until, you know, he just sobers up in time to jump in the plane. You know, drink a little bit of coffee before you pilot the F-18, and you'll be good fine. to go. It's fine. You're totally fine. Yeah, that's that one's a little kind of half-baked it feels there it's a little half-baked overall i think uh it's it's funny looking at emmerich's imdb and whereas 
you know, we were talking about Michael Bay earlier. We did him last week. And, like, Michael Bay has no shortage of bad movies. Yeah. But I feel like Emmerich's hit-to-miss ratio is <laughs> is even lower. You know, whereas Michael Bay, you could say, like, all the Transformers movies are, are pretty dire. Mm. But most of his output in the 90s was fucking fantastic. I actually just watched Ambulance. Solid. I had a yeah. good time. I came in, what, like, the last half hour or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it looks amazing. It looks fantastic. So he's, you know, at least batting like 500, I would say. Whereas Emmerich is batting like, I don't know, 240. Which would be great in... in Baseball? In baseball. Sure. (laughs) Uh, But like, so just going down through the list, you know, he followed up Independence Day, which was the biggest movie of the year, the second biggest movie of all time, briefly. Uh, until the following year when fucking Titanic comes out and wipes the floor with it. But he followed that up with Godzilla, which is unbelievably bad. Mm. Like, kind of irredeemable. It's interesting that someone like Emmerich didn't fully grasp what was good about Godzilla as a concept. That's what that... Like, you can do a lot with Godzilla... I feel like I just had a little epiphany. We were watching a YouTube video about Shin Godzilla. Which which, is amazing. Which is great. You should see it if you haven't. But what the YouTuber was talking about was that the Japanese Godzillas have pretty regularly used Godzilla as some sort of metaphor, Mm. whether it's a critique of Japan or a celebration of Japan, a fear of uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, For Shin Godzilla, it was the aftermath of the Fukushima disaster and and the tsunami. And American Godzilla adaptations have never really been about anything. Anything. Uh, It's just like, it's about Godzilla. And yeah. It's like no, Godzilla it's a is it's Godzilla a metaphor. is this metaphor delivery system. <laughs> and honestly, if anyone could pull it off, you would I think, think it would be Emmerich. Emmerich would do it. It's this bitch fest about Siskel and Ebert. That's so odd to because me. they panned Independence Day, I think. Uh, and like that's a big budget to just take out a personal grudge, man. You made a billion dollars. Take with out this movie. a variety ad or something. Yeah. Like, like Jesus, Independence Day made like eight hundred twenty million dollars worldwide. That's, that's a lot of millions, which is a lot of money. Like, who cares? It right. obviously didn't matter. It didn't affect your box office that Roger Ebert didn't like your movie, and then to go and make a movie, a Godzilla movie, where it's all just like. Roger Ebert's fat. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, man. Like, uh, you're an environmental guy. Yeah. Like, you know, do do something with, like, nuclear shit, man. Nuclear shit, or, you know, as he did with The Day After Tomorrow, he made it about global warming and how humans are not paying attention and, and not, you know, being careful about the planet. And I think that's why Day After Tomorrow works is because it is as thematically coherent as any movie of his yeah. ever has been, yeah. I think. Like, 2012 has some fun moments. I like John Cusack, Harrelson's, you know, hamming it up. It's not really about anything other than a vague sense that everyone should get along. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not great. I haven't seen White House Down. I is saw, it about anything or is it just fun? I think Which it's mostly fine. it's mostly just fun. That's cool. I'd have to watch it again because I did see it once. It was when I was at Deluxe and I got to see it alone, which was Ooh. cool. And I had a great time. Yeah. Uh, like, it's certainly the better of, like, that and Olympus Has Fallen came out right. the same time. <laughs> and I would say it's the better one. And it's always kind of stuck in my craw that the Olympus movies became, like, movies. Oh, like, a yeah. series, or at least there's one or two others. And, like, White House Down is better. It's got Channing Tatum and Jamie Foxx, and, and they're great together. It's, it's fun. I think... Day After Tomorrow is still Emmerich's best. Mm-hmm. And then it's sort of a toss-up maybe between Independence Day and White House Down. Yeah. And then, you know, 2012 has its moments. A lot of the other ones I haven't seen. Never saw Moonfall. Never saw Midway. <laughs> didn't see Independence Day Resurgence. We could have watched that for this. Oh, yeah. We probably could I didn't want to. I didn't it just like it. looks like a slog. Yeah. It looks bad. You know, and like Independence Day is good, enjoyable, but like... It didn't quite. It didn't hold up quite as well as I th- as I thought it would be. I do remember having like a pretty good time and like mm, me too. When it was one of those where like I've definitely seen it 
more than once, but never in a linear fashion. Interesting. It's It was, you know, on cable and it would always be halfway through or whatever, or I would put on, put it on for like 20 minutes before going somewhere else sure. because I was in my twenties and did things. You did things. <laughs> Remember doing things, folks? Vaguely. Uh, yeah, you know, having just rewatched Armageddon, which is definitely the one I watched more when I was a kid, despite mm-hmm. having the Independence Day poster. Not sure what happened there. It is a cool uh, poster. It's a cooler poster than Armageddon. It's a solid poster. Yeah. But um, I really appreciate Armageddon more now. Like, I feel like it holds up really well. Yeah. And, like, all the stuff that seemed dumb about it when I was a kid still seems dumb about it now, and I'm very willing to overlook that stuff. Whereas Independence Day, yeah, it's just a little flabbier. Your brain catches a bit more on the stuff that is dumb. Like, I I don't want to be that person, but, like, Jeff Goldblum being able to... Like jack into the alien <laughs> from like his intranet MacBook. from his from his MacBook from in 1996. Like, wait a second. So are the aliens? At one point, there's a bunch of binary code yeah. flashing across the screen, and like, are the aliens using binary? That would actually make some sense, but they use a different power system that isn't elect electrical. Right. So you know, binary is based on electricity. Right. So what? Well, and are, is is it Wi-Fi? Are they? Do they have how, an yeah, Ethernet how did cable? You, and where like, did where'd you get the dongle for that? <laughs> how how did you get into the alien system? And also, the aliens wouldn't think. They, this goes back to the arrival thing, where you know, arrival. The entire movie is spent trying to learn how to communicate with these beings which do not communicate like we do. Right. And like, you know, the term nonlinear orthography is complete nonsense, but you, you get you can kind of understand what uh, Amy Adams. Amy Adams is is trying to get get to and what the filmmakers, you know, why they made that up. Uh, <laughs> um, but in this we're not given any like, you know, Jeff Goldblum figures out their code in their in their transmission but we don't know how or why uh and yeah the movie he is, just finds it and it's just like oh it? it's oh it's a countdown and it's like what do you mean how do you know it's a countown what why do you know it's a countdown how did you how did you find this? that code like yeah. this is weird and you know it's a it's a big action movie but it does have these elements where your mind just snags on them and it's difficult to unsnag after you're like, what? There's also, uh, again, this is very nitpicky and, and matters, I think, even less than the MacBook hacking into the yeah, alien system. Uh, but like the alien ships work on dune rules. There is a scene where the old Area 51 ship is in a hangar, and Jeff Goldblum uses a Coke can as an example, where he places the Coke can on inside the ship uh, and asks the ass ask Adam Baldwin to shoot it off. And he tries to shoot it and can't, and the bullet ricochets around the room, which is wildly dangerous. There's there are, children. There are children in there. Mae Whitman is in there. And, in there. and oh, the little boy, Will Smith's stepson. Yeah, cute kid. Uh, really cute. And Boomer's in there, the Boomer dog. the dog. Shout out to, oh God, that dog is has been dead for so long. For like 25 <gasps> years. Oh no. R.I.P. Dakota. Dakota, great dog acting. Anyway, so Jeff Goldblum uses this Coke can as an example where, like, the shield deflects the bullet. Okay. And then he gives uh, the alien ship a virus and the shield comes down. And, like, how do you write the code to for right? that virus to how bring the shield How do you even know down? that that's part of the shield? But like, that's not even the big problem. The big problem is, like, oh, so the shield is penetrable if you just go slowly. If you just walk up to it, you will just walk on yeah. the ship. I don't know. You could probably do something with that. Like, right? very slowly bring a bomb up to the ship and just kind of drop it on the ship. Right. Get a Zeppelin. <laughs> get a get the Goodyear blimp up there and just right. have it slowly crash into it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it really is like, all right, how nitpicky do you want to be? Right. This is Independence Day. It's very silly. Just it's chill. very silly. But you know, there's 
funnily enough, I don't remember myself having those thoughts during Armageddon, which arguably has as many really stupid fucking equally stupid moments of like, what? But I don't care because it's like a little better. It all hangs together better. A little bit better. The things about Armageddon that are really fucking stupid are macro things, I think. That's, okay, can I buy the idea of NASA deciding to train a group of deep sea oil drillers in like two days (laughs) to go up and- No, they have like 12 days. They spend a bunch of time training. They not enough time Okay, but also like 12 days is not enough time. Well, sure. And- so are they okay? So like you have to buy into that, and you have to buy into the idea that you can drill deep enough into an asteroid to detonate enough, you know, nuclear weapons to make it, you know, split into two, and those pieces will then miss Earth. It's a big ask, but yeah. if you buy into those two things, most of what follows is you're on, not, you're on board. It like most of the smaller details are fine most of them yeah. they're obviously not all of them but but for the most part for the most part mm, it's not too bad here there's like a fair amount of silly details yeah just little things where you're just like yeah i'm not totally on board here yeah like jeff goldblum is able to drive up to the white house just drive up to the front gate yeah there's also the driving like you're not getting out of new york let alone getting down the eastern seaboard to dc in a car when there's a mass fucking panic happening yeah everyone is going every which way probably like Like the that shot of them driving into dc and like the highway out of the city is clogged and there's no one on the highway in it's like they would have been just driving on the opposite side they would have taken that over. That's actually something the poster for The Walking Dead has a similar look. Mm. And that always bugged me. It's like, they just they just drive yeah. on it. That wouldn't stop anyone. No. What are you talking about? Um, but it looks evocative, it looks cool. so whatever. Shava- uh, free Shavakadu. <laughs> free Shavakadu. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was... Uh, I wouldn't call it a disappointment per se. No, definitely not. I, it is still, it's plenty enjoyable. Put it on, fold some laundry, cook some hot dogs. <laughs> put some put some hot dogs on the barbecue, uh, crack open a nice cold Budweiser, and enjoy America in its final death throes, <laughs> just like Independence Day. Yeah, kind of. Yes, this is, you know, this will come out you know, the weekend before, or the, uh, the Monday before Independence Day. Uh, July 4th, this Mm -hmm. podcast. So put this on, you know, have it running while you're watching the movie. Why not? Yeah. And uh, just enjoy the abject silliness of it all. And imagine a president who is actually capable of giving a really rousing speech. And flying a plane. And flying a (laughs) plane. I do kind of want to see Biden try to fly a plane. I mean, Trump, I don't think, could fit into the plane. Trump, uh, well, uh, don't fat shame No, not uh, because, Mr. not Trump, just because sir. he's fat. Like, like just, uh, he's just kind of a sack of suet. Like, he's, just he's, a, just, he's just a bunch of no warm bones. oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and also not capable of flying a plane. I feel like Joe, 20 years ago, could probably fly a plane okay. Actually, probably. No, I, it's, I wouldn't want to be in the flight path. But, uh, you know, get get Bill Pullman up there. I feel like he... Oh, yeah, we I, didn't... He's good. He's he's really good. He's, he's good. you know, between the Pullman-Paxton uh, spectrum, I'm more on, si- on Look, the Paxton side. I think most people are more Paxton-y. Yeah. But in a pinch, get Pullman. <laughs> that sounds like a slogan. <laughs> so like what, what his, his managers his use. I was just going to say his agents have, like, these business cards that he can just hand out. It's like, no, I'm Pullman... In a pinch, call Pullman. Hmm? Yeah, back in like the nineties, like oh, Paxton's booked. Pullman? Yeah, all right. Fine. Yeah, sure. He'll, he's good enough. Yeah, I think my first experience of Bill Pullman was in the Casper movie. Oh, uh, what an odd. That's interesting. I, I remember very clearly my first experience with Pullman. Spaceballs. Oh, I didn't see Spaceballs until after I saw Casper. That makes sense. Yeah. You were pretty young. I mean, I'm two years older than you. <laughs> like, I, Spaceballs was a good one to watch because it's very kid-friendly. Yeah. Uh, just slapsticky. It's mm-hmm. It keeps kids entertained. So I watched that a whole bunch as a kid. Saw it long before I saw Star Wars. Years, Me too. Years Me too. Years. Yeah. Yep. 
so there's obviously it's mostly parodies Star Wars, but also Alien and mm-hmm. uh, some other stuff. And like, didn't see Alien, didn't see Star Wars, mm-hmm. saw Spaceballs, and then finally watched those movies. And was like, oh, oh, this is this is where it actually comes from. I see now. And like, Spaceballs is pretty hit and miss. There's a lot of you know goofy stuff in there and not like in a good way necessarily yeah uh but it does have one of my all-time favorite jokes of uh visual jokes of when the stormtroopers are combing the desert looking and it's a- <laughs> and the two guys with the little comb yeah, have you found anything yet we ain't found shit because <laughs> it's a pick it's a little pick it's it's great it's uh very funny it's a really good joke um, speaking anyway, of Spaceballs. speaking of homage, though, I do feel like the alien aut- quote unquote autopsy scene. He's not dead. The alien is not dead, but they're like peeling away the bio suit. Mm. Not that Sam Raimi needs influences, but like it does kind of feel as though that scene influenced, s- influenced yeah. the the Doc Ock operation scene in Spider Man Two. Unless there is like a an earlier thing that both of them are referencing maybe that could be it uh yeah i and i don't know but my guess is it did influence Raimi, and uh, the doc ock scene feels like what would have happened if we'd stuck with the independence day alien autopsy Mm -hmm. like everything starts to go haywire and then they cut to the president walking into the observation room and then you get the guy slammed against the wall and so you don't really see it all play out uh whereas in the Doc Ock scene, you see the whole scene play mm-hmm. out. And I, that feels like the big difference there. But, you know, it's like tentacles writhing around and flying everywhere and all the doctors screaming and running around. Mm-hmm. So very similar. Yeah. And also, you're usually the one who recognizes an actor from, you know, Some half, a, half a second we see, you know, part of their face and you're like, oh, it's the guy from White Lotus or whatever. <laughs> but this time it was me who recognized Leland Orser, who is uh, the guy in Seven who, like, has the the knife attached to his dick or whatever, the horrible thing, and he has to fuck the woman to death. Uh, she says, I gotta see that movie again. I Oh, yeah. I think I actually only saw it once. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I've, I've watched it a kind of weird number of times. You have a, you have a Fincher thing. I have a Fincher thing. Huh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Fincher's great. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, worse directors to like, hmm, yeah. I'm going to watch the right? movies. I mean, when we rewatched Fight Club, I think I appreciated it more now than I ever did when I watched yeah. it as a teen. And most of his movies really hold up very well. Yeah. So I would watch it again. I, I yeah, bet it's I, fantastic. I could, could I own? I think I... Do you have it on like DVD or I something? I thought I did at some point, yeah. which is kind of weird. Yeah. But... Anyway, uh, Leland Orser, I recognized him by his by his eyes over like a, a surgical, surgical mask. mask. Yeah. I was like, is that Very the guy impressive. from Seven who fucks the woman to death? <laughs> And it was, and, it and was. he's, Leland Orser is like a very, he has done a lot of things. Those are not, these, these are not the only two it's things he's done. not how he introduces done. himself at parties. Right? But, uh, but he should. I, I mean, I would. But, uh, I mean, I did recognize that the, the kid is Frank the Rabbit. You did. I also, the president's daughter is. Yeah. Mae Whitman. Her? Her? Uh, so that, that's Anne from Arrested Development. We had a plant, Anne. <laughs> She calls it a May and egg. <laughs> Just, uh, I, I do like to think that this is her, or like, this is Anne's origin story. She was the president's daughter. And she, you know, saw her mom die or... Very slowly. Whatever. You guys aren't going to do surgery? No? You're not going to... Okay. All right. You're just going to... Um, all right. Well... I guess that's it. There's nothing, nothing we, we can do. She seems okay. That is very American. Mm. Yeah. Even for the president, just like... <laughs> Oh, sorry, your insurance doesn't I was cover just it. like, oh, uh, this isn't covered under your HMO. Well, We're out of network. A, son of a bitch. Like, anyway, American exceptionalism. It is funny how, like, I guess we already talked about this, but, like, America in the 90s just kind of being the de facto leader mm-hmm. where, like, they decide what to do. They decide, they send out the Morse code to all the other countries, and everyone's just like, yeah, right. Yeah. And, like, yeah, Arrival was much more accurate, where it's just, like, 
No. No. We're not we have doing to beg any of China. That. Please don't bomb the aliens. The aliens. Yeah. And it's like that certainly feels much more appropriate for today. I don't think it ever would have played out that smoothly, even when we were much more hegemonic. Yeah. But yeah, like that's probably not exactly how it would have gone. Russia yeah. was just like, yeah, totally, man. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. I guess they were still reeling from the shattering of the Soviet Union. Sure. Sure. So I don't know, maybe. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, a real real time capsule. Yeah. You know, you got the you get the gay panic in there a little bit. A little bit, but maybe not at the same time. Like I think the least of all of those movies, like most movies had a lot of gay there panic. There was a lot of fucking gay panic. Yeah. My lawyer is a bitch. My lawyer is my my ex-wife is not a bitch because I love her still. I love her so much. All I I just want her back. I'm driving down to DC to get her. Yeah. It's very sweet. Uh, but there is the lawyer joke of just yeah. like, I got to call my lawyer, Harvey Firestein. Yeah. Oh, poor Harvey Firestein. Poor Fires. Harvey Firestein. He's got his therapist, expensive therapist. He's the New York gay. Uh, and he doesn't survive. He doesn't survive. Come on. Yeah. Just, just. It just, is a real time capsule. It's yeah. like a good, it's worth, you know. Throw it on. Yeah, if you haven't seen it in a while, it is a fun little throwback, a little nostalgia journey for you, because we all saw it. Like, it was a huge movie. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, if it's been a while, I hadn't seen it in probably 20 years. Throw it on and and then watch Arrival. See what it does to your brain. It's interesting. Yeah, you'll be able to perceive time differently after you watch Arrival. Just, I, I see it all at once. It's deeply unpleasant. All my shits I've ever had (laughs) happening simultaneously. Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, See you next time. Happy Fourth of July. 